0: There was a weird noise in my apartment.
1: Animal noise?
0: I hope not.
1: welcome everybody to episode 25 of digesting cinema with aaron and christina i am your host aaron and as always i'm here with my fellow host christina and this week we are joined by another very special guest she's contributor to geeks of color host of the meaning of podcasts as well with ace cabrera and robert butler III. she's just all around nose film sabrina on film if you will sabrina ramirez how are you you doing tonight
0: i am doing great i am so honored to be on this with you guys huge fan longtime fan first time caller
1: (laughs) absolutely and the movie before we go any further and we'll get back to you is cruella we are covering prequels this week on the podcast before i say too much more i just want to pop over to my fellow host graduate christina how are you doing tonight
2: I did not graduate, but I did attend a graduation and it's always very nice to see that my kids turned out to be normal human beings. So they're off to big and brighter things. So I'm proud of them and excited for them. And I wish them the best. Not no, that
1: <laughs> Yeah. And so, yeah, she's coming fresh off here. Um, and uh, before we go too much further, I do want to pop back over to Sabrina. With the prequels this week, we ended up choosing Cruella, and I ended up actually reaching out to you afterwards. This is an interesting episode because this is going to be, even though it's a new 2021 movie, a rewatch for for yourself and I, uh, and a new watch for Christina. So before we get too much into kind of our thoughts, what were your kind of thoughts going into Cruella, your kind of overall feelings on when these franchises or known properties decide to like give an origin story. Are you a big fan of that? And yeah, like your overall feeling the first time going into Cruella and kind of this time.
0: Yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of prequel films, especially for a villain or a very, very well known character, unless they do it correctly. And I mean, we had a great actress attached to this with Emma Stone, obviously. And I'm a huge fan of Craig Gillespie's work up until this point. I think he honestly is a great filmmaker. I love his style, I think he brings an energy to it. So when I was going into this one, I've never been attached to Cruella in the animated or the live-action Glenn Close. She was just never a character that I had thought about too much afterwards. She was just kind of an afterthought. Plus... I hate all the Disney live actions. So I went into this with a completely open mind, but I was definitely aware of all of this because I feel like prequels kind of take away some of the allure or the mystique from characters. And then it turns out to be flat, but myself not being a fan of Cruella already, like it couldn't get any flatter than that. So those were kind of my initial thoughts going into it, but I ended up genuinely loving this film.
1: Christina, what were your thoughts on... Cruella, was this something you were anticipating before this week?
2: I'm actually the exact opposite of Sabrina. I really like all the Disney live actions or at least the idea of doing the Disney live actions. Maybe that's probably the better way to do it. I don't mind prequels. I kind of think it's cool sometimes to see the origin stories. I mean, we were just doing the prequels of Star Wars on Digesting the Force. So it was kind of cool to see how those stories came out. I don't necessarily know if I need to see a redeemable quality of my villains, but it is kind of cool to just like, see why they are. I always thought Cruella was pretty interesting because it's like this woman is like so high fashion and mm-hmm. fantastic, but then also like just really wants to make fur coats all the time. And then we villainize that because she wants to like literally murder puppies in order to get it. So it's yeah. like making a fur coats is like a normal thing to want, but like to put it to the next level of like she wants to personally kill the puppies made her a villain. So I'm down. It's not like I needed it. It's not like I needed to know more about Cruella, but it was like, yeah. I like Emma Stone. I'll watch the movie.
1: Yeah, and this is really interesting because I am like a blend of the two of you because I am not a big Disney remake fan. No, I haven't seen most of them, but the ones I have seen, I've not been into at all. Uh, Can you feel the love tonight in the afternoon did not work for me. Like, it's just, they have no soul typically, and I prefer that with my movies. With regards to the franchise of 101 Dalmatians, I love 101 Dalmatians. Aaron the dog guy Believe it or not, loves the movie about 101 dogs. Imagine that. It was my favorite (laughs) animated movie growing up. Literally watched it on repeat. I can say it word for word. I think Cruella is one of the best villains, definitely in Disney history, but just overall, I think she's incredible. Both the animated and the live actions. I like 101 Dalmatians and 102 Dalmatians. I literally, there has not been a 101 Dalmatians anything that I haven't liked. So that's how this movie really got me. I saw it the day it came out. I paid $30 to go see it. And the second time I got to see it, I got to see it in theaters. So, really, two different experiences, and I definitely went in with not high expectations because it was a Disney remake. So I was expecting him just butcher my favorite franchise and character. And what I didn't want to see was just the same thing I'd already seen in 101 Dalmatians, the animated. And then, fortunately, I was like seven, eight years old when the remake came out, the live-action remake with Jeff Daniels and whoever the uh, and Glenn Close, and I forgot the other woman's name, but. Like, that was basically the same thing as 101 the anime had just done in live action. But I was a kid. I didn't really care at that point. What I didn't want to see out Cruella was, like, tell me how she got to being this the same character we already knew. I wanted to see a reimagining. So I was pleasantly surprised by that, which is why I think we're kind of cheating here a little bit by using this as a prequel this week because i
2: I, I feel like prequels are annoying when you just totally retcon everything though so like either make a prequel, prequel or don't make it a prequel
1: but I don't think this is a prequel. That's why I'm
2: saying I'm we're literally to... described as a prequel in the IMDb summary. But, but I don't know. think... I think it's a prequel. I feel like they kind of yeah.
0: have to, like, market it as a prequel, because it's like, you know, this character that we all know and love, she's celebrated right. forever, she's iconic. Prequel film. Like, you want to see how she got to this point. I feel like mm-hmm. that's kind of an audience draw at that point. But I do agree with Aaron, where this is way more of a reimagining than a yeah. rehashing.
1: Yeah, it's just, it's not a prequel to the 101 Dalmatians that we've already seen at all. And that that's why like a lot of the criticism I've heard about the response around the movie, even before it was coming out was like, how are you going to redeem this woman who kills a bunch of pups?" You can't redeem her. And like, but well, this she, never
2: kills them. she just wants to, and that's the difference. No,
1: no. But like, even in the original, like, like she murders like a bunch of animals in that movie. And it's definitely in the 101 Dalmatians. She clearly killed a Siberian white tiger. Like she was an active poacher. Like, I think that with this, like some of that criticism is being attached to, future characteristics of this character that I don't think we're going to necessarily see and I'll get into kind of some theories of where I think this is going later in the show too but I think definitely there's some things that are going to happen with Roger and Anita that are very different in Cruella 2 when that comes out which by the way as we're talking about this Cruella 2 has already been greenlit So yeah,
2: totally takes away from this even being a prequel, which it's
1: that's my point. That's why we're kind of cheating here. But
2: I think though that like that's Disney's whole problem is they don't market their movies correctly, like they call things remakes when they're not. Like when Mulan came out, a remake would be that Mushu is in the movie, music is in the movie. You're basically taking what you did animated and you're just making it live action. All of them have pretty much been reimaginings, and it would be nice if they just marketed it that way because. Because if you're telling me it is a live action remake, I'm assuming it is almost verbatim in the, the animated I, version in live action. Yeah. But as an audience yep.
0: member, and like since they do have the animated versions, we know with any kind of adaptations, I feel like when we're adapting a musical or adapting anything, there's so many changes that have to be made. Video game movies are another mm-hmm. good example. You can't take something straight out of one version and apply it to another and think that's going to be successful. And I feel like that kind of shows in the way that they change like certain aspects of Mulan. Because Lion King was something that was kind of very, very, very similar. And Mm -hmm. that's the one I feel like is the most universally hated. I feel like Mm -hmm. it would be impossible for them to take one of these stories and then apply it to the screen the exact way that it is and have people enjoy it. But I do understand it's weird to say remake when it is kind of a reimagining. But this one is like a true and true like reimagining of the character.
1: I mean, it just completely is. I think it is worth talking about the initial like thoughts and buzz because This is our first movie from 2021 we're getting to cover on this podcast. I think that's a really cool, unique angle for one to be discussing a movie from. Because so often we're talking about movies and I'm like, Christina, how long ago is that? That was like 50 years ago this movie came out. (laughs) Yes, Aaron, that's how time works. But I get, you know, really surprised by time. So whatever. But with this, it's I mean, it's... Just I, We can remember what the reception was when it came out because it was a month ago. And I can just say that I was pleasantly surprised when I found out that we were not watching a prequel and it was a retelling, a reimagining because- what it allows is freedom from the characters, which a prequel does not allow, which always keeps me, you know, who survives in a prequel, you know, who becomes one in a prequel because it's already been told. Like, and for me, it takes away all the dramatic tension, all the dramatic stakes. This movie has it throughout. So, and like the first act is hugely dramatic in this movie. And so I say we. We don't
2: know anything about her past. So how could this not be a prequel? Like, what stakes do we have? You don't know anything about her. All you right, know it's is. A,
1: it's an origin story. It's not a prequel.
2: I mean, is it wouldn't an origin story be a prequel? Mm-mm. because there's nothing there, i mean there's things that this if, it, this if the origin story comes out after the original movie then it's a prequel
1: yeah but this is for a totally different world like this is for a totally different story here what she's going to become in cruella 2 and future cruella movies, i do not believe it's going to be simply what has already been told from 101 dalmatians the animated or because 101
0: do tease it slightly throughout the film like turns where it's like oh is she gonna kill the dogs and then they it's like they're self-aware she's, about she's the fact great that this with is the, First of all,
1: yeah to start out she is like an animal lover it's one of the first things that's like instilled in her reasons to hate Dalmatians are pretty damn valid these three (laughs) Dalmatians are assholes
0: that's why I wouldn't have as much as I love animals I understand if she were to have used it because that would be a power move over Emma Thompson's character first of all
1: I want to make sure to say spoiler alert for this one especially this is a 2021 movie this will be spoilers I don't say this often but don't listen to this if you haven't watched this movie because we're going to be getting into plot details throughout this because they're pretty important to my discussions. I'm just very close to this franchise as a whole so I really do recognize how different this is from the other movies. So that is just maybe something I'll hammer in a little bit too much but let's go ahead and jump into kind of the first act and uh, the energy that I felt right away off the bat at least like it didn't feel like another Disney Remake. Well, oh, that's
2: me. because the soundtrack was bopping. Like I loved it. Did it anybody bop have- after Bops after Bops? The soundtrack was lit.
1: And Alan knows at times, and I was totally okay with it. Like we knew sympathy for the devil was gonna play at some point. It plays at the end, and we have sympathy for the devil by the end. And you know what? Craig had me right in the palm of his hands a whole movie because <laughs> I'm just having a great time. I love the soundtrack, it is of its time. This is like 70s steampunk sex pistol. Era, Like just it's got that all over. And yeah, it's very like on the nose at points, but I was quite okay with it. I think the soundtrack is definitely a strength of the movie. I did not find it distracting. I thought even the times where they decided to use covers like for Come Together was actually like a really good call to not have the Beatles in that point and actually just have this like sultry, jazzy cover of this song where it's like yeah, I still know what it is, but it doesn't distract you and take you to a different time of the 60s. It keeps you in that 70s vibe with what they're going with which is their Come Together. But yeah, what were your thoughts on the music?
0: I think that's where Craig and everybody who kind of worked that angle I think that's where they succeeded because they knew what would fit tonally. So of course, a lot of these songs are things that the general audience knows. So it might take you out for a second. You're like, yeah, but the thing is, it works and it fits. So why not use it to your advantage, especially in this time period in London and mm-hmm. the music that was popular and stuff that just goes along with the story? Utilizing music to your advantage is always a plus in my book. And yeah, so it worked 100% for me.
1: I mean, Scorsese did it in Goodfellas completely to capture the eighties. Yeah. Like this has been done by filmmaker after filmmaker. And it's just like, I try not to look into too many responses or something, but I did see this brought up as like a negative from some people, like, oh, there's just so much. it's like it's a good time and not only does it match the tone it matches the energy like the tempo of the scenes within it It reminded me a lot of the use of music in baby driver which is one of my favorite uses of very familiar songs also and i love the music right away it just it felt like i i've been telling my brother and a few other people this it felt like the most a24 disney remake that we'll ever get it just like yeah i mean i loved the opening their tracking shots and just capturing all the fancy elegant dresses you know i've been on costume Ever since our best costume episode, Christina, I can't help it.
2: Anthony did say, I hope this gets nominated for best costumes and oh, it'll it's probably win. win. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: and I don't watch trailers leading up to this, but I guess like there's a very famous trailer scene with like the lighting of the white dress to the red mm-hmm. that's in the trailers. I didn't see that till the movie, and my jaw dropped when that happened. I was just like, Well, that is just fabulous. I literally said that out loud to my mom as I was watching at home, but. Anyways, Christina, you want to kind of get us on the rails as we.
2: Yeah, we basically started like her birth. Mm -hmm. Well, sure. I believe the first thing she says is, This is, uh, we like, we go through like her mom's necklace and she's like, This is the day that I died. Which I will say the narration was kind of cool because like you didn't really know if it was Emma Stone or Emma Thompson talking. Like I felt like their voices sounded very similar sometimes. So I thought that was interesting. I don't know if that was just my hearing, but I found it very odd that she was born with the different color hair. I mean, that's just, I like it. But let me just er flip it and reverse it. We see her born, correct? Like, we see her emerge from a woman. And then we find out at the end, the woman's, like, didn't remember that she had a child with black and white hair like that?
1: Well, she did, but...
2: We can get to that. But all I'm saying is I'm going to plant that seed. Because we basically get her from childhood. That, like, she's literally born like this. And, you know, she always kind of felt like she had this, like, devilish side to her. You know, she's a wild child. You know, her alter... I thought of it more as maybe like an alter ego more like a Batman to the Bruce Wayne than like an actual like split personality situation here with the Cruella versus Estella but like I thought she was a badass kid I kind of was hoping they did more kid scenes I was a little bummed when they aged it up to Emma Stone as quickly as they did
1: yeah I agree I really loved it the kids scenes as well and but a lot of people criticize about how long this movie already was and exactly. it's just like it's like you gotta make cuts somewhere so i think craig was intelligent in cutting here and leaving it's better to want more than to oversee Yeah, the
2: but i mean we basically established that she's a, not a good kid in school and gets in trouble and all that stuff and then obviously leads up to the big moment of the movie before she ages up but Sabrina anything you want to add
0: yeah it's really interesting because it sets up her character so well she's so curious she's Mm -hmm. constantly getting in trouble because of her curiosity but she's also so badass and not afraid to stand up for herself and I feel like the time that we do spend with her as a kid and I didn't even realize about like the whole hair situation until you brought it up (laughs) but (laughs) the time we spend with her as a kid she is so like secure in herself and she Mm -hmm. like doesn't care and then she has that alter ego self but then once she she Kind of meets you know like Jasper and Horace. That's when when we do finally get that shift. I feel like it's so warranted and earned at that point yeah. because we got so much character build up and character story in that one. Just like what is it like ten minutes of her as a kid, mm-hmm. and then we see it just like flash forward, and it fits perfectly. And even just like seeing the characters flash forward, we didn't need that much time with them to know that they're just still up to the exact same hijinks that they were when they were kids, and that's right. the way that they've been living their lives. And the way that we saw how like savvy they were at that age already. And then up until now, it's so interesting.
2: Yeah. Jasper and Horace low key steal the show for me. Steal the movie.
1: I mean, but. all three of them together, you could were work awesome. I, yeah. yeah. Emma Thompson as well. I there's not, it was one of the things that first really stuck out for me throughout the movie is it's like, there's not bad performances in here. Anita darling. I want to see way more of her character. I'm really excited to see where it goes. Like if she's kind of like Cruella's publicist, in the next movie as opposed to like, you know, in the original franchise, it was like she was a fashion designer who worked for her. Cruella. They kind of spun that a little bit into like Cruella's origin story a little bit as Estella. So I really like how this movie is really subtle at points uh, with some relationship aspects between like Horace, Jasper, and Estella Sash Cruella. I mean, it's definitely hinted at that Jasper and Cruella, that especially Jasper has interest in Cruella. Mm-hmm. And Cruella or Estella you know is definitely aware of it but it's kind of like have they ever done anything like no like he definitely is in love with her though is there any doubt from anybody that Jasper is in love with Estella-sized Cruella
0: I didn't really get that vibe I (laughs) didn't like I thought about that as well because also if you're like living with like two people for your entire life I just feel like they have such a strong bond and connection that I think they give us enough hints where in the sequel that's a direction that they can go I think They do really have that such strong connection of like surrogate family that they found within each other, but not, you know, not anything like weird, like they all love each other so much, but they could (laughs) definitely in the future, like date in the sequel.
1: Yeah, I don't want to spend too much time talking about what this leads to or anything, but... I do feel it was just hinted at in multiple scenes, but in a really subtle, non-Disney for kid type of way, it wasn't like hitting you over the head. It was actually like healthy. Like sometimes people who are friends and really are close to each other start to have like bordering on weird other, especially in that kind of situation. But like, it's like the rooftop scene before like the big heist. There's some moments where like he wants to, and then he doesn't. I loved. I believe it was Joel Fry who played Jasper. Uh, I've heard Paul Walter Hauser brought up a bunch for Horace. Good reason. But I do feel that Jasper was equally up for the part that he was playing in that subtle, just the way they are operating as a trio on the trolleys throughout London. just It's so fun to watch them just caper through and just steal wallets, use their dogs to have them help. These dogs that never age, I'm fine. I'm fine with ageless dogs also in this universe. These dogs 10, 15 years later don't age. Chico, I support it. But so. We have
2: to talk about why she met. Horace and Jasper, because when we first meet her, she's with mm-hmm. her mom. Right. And she gets kicked out of school. Mom withdraws her from school and decides she's going to now pursue her dreams. They're going to start over in London. They're doing this road trip and they're ready. Mom just needs to make a quick stop with an old friend mm-hmm. who we don't meet. But Estella gets in a little bit of trouble there, goes to the party starts a little bit of a ruckus and she thinks she's the reason that the dogs get out. And this was wild to me, the way we lose her mom because Disney just loves killing off people's moms is that the three Dalmatians just (laughs) run and push her essentially over the balcony off a cliff. And that was it. And then she blamed herself for that. And I was like, well, that was awfully dramatic. No wonder this woman hates Dalmatians. They just murdered her mom.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it is a way within 10 to 20 minutes of getting you to understand how someone could go wanting to go to the extreme of killing a certain type of dog as a dog person myself. I mean, yeah. I
2: wouldn't.
0: Why would you like them? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And that's kind of like the nod that they have. Like, mm-hmm. they're like, oh, you know the story of Cruella and how this kind of comes about. Well, look at something like this. And in the context of the film, you know, dogs like this can be guard dogs. So she thinks at this point, obviously, that she let him out and then that they pushed her off the cliff, which is, it is so insane and dramatic. But, like, I'm here for it because this entire film to me is just like an elevated version of reality. Mm-hmm. And I love to see it. Like, yes, this is something that's ridiculous ridiculous, but it could totally happen. And it fits within the narrative of what we know from Cruella and what we are expecting kind of from this story. Like it makes sense.
1: Yeah. And it's really smart of the director here because at this point we're under the impression that we're seeing Basically a re, you know, a retelling of a story we've already known. So we have to find a way to get to that jump of how does she get to want to kill Dalmatian? So at this point I'm watching, I'm still really worried, honestly. This whole first act of, on my first watch, I was not sold completely, I was sold partially. Like I loved when I heard the music and like the shots of like chasing after the dogs and like just genuinely cool shots, like shot by the director, but I was still like, Oh, they just had dogs kill a woman. So that they could justify why this other woman grows up to be a fashion designer that wants to kill dogs, really? Like, that it's just like, it's gonna be this. So, I was worried when that first happened It was definitely on the rewatch that I was able to Enjoy kind of that scene and that Angle of her perspective of thinking it was All her fault and how growing up that Way
2: I love that whole scene I think They did a great job because we have no idea Who Estella's mom is talking to So like Mm -hmm. my first thought was like It was like an old boyfriend an old lover Possibly Estella's father because She didn't want Estella to be around it So you really have no idea The connection there we just know that this Person has a mansion has a lot of money and likes to throw extravagant parties. So you don't know really anything about the relationship between Acela's mom and whoever she's speaking to. You just know that Acela just fucked up the party and the demolition just offed her mom. Now that she's an orphan is when she meets Horace and Jasper as children. And then once that scene is over, we see them all become adults. And Estella pretty much vows to really not get in trouble. She wants to now pursue fashion. She kind of wants to do this as an homage to her mom. We see her with the red hair. She's really just trying to not let that alter ego of Cruella out. And we kind of just see that, like, the three of them just, you know, they don't really have any money. They don't have any solid jobs. And they just kind of, like steal and trick people and they like stole the birthday cake for june or whatever their name was it's just like sorry bud you know so it's just like they have a cute little relationship where they take care of each other but they really just don't do anything responsibly to do that there but they always have each other's backs
1: but again to play into my jasper loves estella theory because the episode isn't complete without a theory of mine what does jasper do like a real good nice guy. Breaks into the agency of the Baroness, puts her beefed up resume that he worked on, which in the 70s is like, you know, that's a lot of work and puts it into the accepted pile. Coaches her up on like, you know, this is how you know Prince Harry. Jasper goes above and beyond. Breaks into fashion house that he knows that she loves. It's like something that he probably listened to her talk about late at night while he wasn't doing something he wanted to do, but just listening to her being a nice guy. And then he he probably wanted to continue to be just like petty thieves and just live this life forever. He knew she wanted more and he well, helped support that. She didn't that.
2: need him. She did not need him.
1: I'm not, that's not what I said. You're putting words in my mouth.
2: She did it on her own because she had that other job where she was scrubbing toilets and doing all that shit. And she really tried to help and then just decided one late night that she redid the whole front window and the Baroness noticed. So, like, she got noticed on her own. She did not need a man. That's the thing that's so funny because she-
0: For a second, we think like, oh, she's about to have this glamorous job. She's about to live her dream. And then she's like just a janitor at the place. And like, obviously, everybody starts at some point. So that's like the special job that he got of hers. But- it genuinely is her talent and ambition and just overall, just, I don't know, ridiculousness, like badass of the character to just like be told, oh, you got to clean up this whole place. And she drinks this expensive whiskey yep. and mm-hmm. she just decides to switch this up. She sees this and she's like, you look horrible. Let me fix this. And she elevates it to the point where she finally gets the approval from the Baroness and then that's how she gets her job.
2: And I just so think so it's good. so cool. Wait, all right. I'll give you Jasper got her foot in the door. Yeah, that's how she got her the job Jesper- Yeah, but like she didn't get a good job. He just got her like doing the crap.
1: Well, no, no. Yeah, of course that's um, but it's still the thought. It's It's the thought that counts. Present,
2: but But she got herself noticed.
1: I'm not saying she didn't, Christina.
2: I'm over trying to like humor your theory. So I will just spend the rest of our podcast days trying to debunk whatever theory it is that you make.
1: I accept that. That's fine. All I'm saying is that it's a nice move that he did, and that cruella estella she gets to where she's at on her own she's only referred to as estella at this point yes. um cruella doesn't come to a little bit later which i thought was also very you know really cool but it's cool because there's like i really like the guy she worked for i thought he was such a good quaff asshole like just every time you know he just read the baroness and the baroness all of a sudden liked something and then it was just like oh you like that and like everything that he thought was right was wrong and like she knew it had to be mixed up. I think essentially what Cruella was doing to that mannequin is what Craig Gillespie and kind of the writers of this movie were doing to the story of 101 Dalmatians. So like you can't just be like the same story. We've done, like we need to mix it up. You look horrible. Let's do this. And they painted it over. And that's what we're really seeing is this new story. It's not a prequel.
2: They also do a really great job. So once she gets the job working with the Baroness, we basically see on multiple levels how much of a shitty person the Baroness is because you're getting a story where you're figuring out how the villain became the villain and the story has a villain in it. Down right. to the point where like, she doesn't even come up with her own ideas. She's supposed to be this world-renowned fashion designer and she has a team of people who she just steals their ideas from, gives them zero credit, and just talks about how fantastic she is. She's not polite to like any of her employees, anybody, any of her, you know, I I don't know what else to call them, her service people, people that work for her, that clean her home, all of them, like she's not nice to anybody. And she's also at this point, not with a, a man, which is not shocking at that because she's not nice.
0: I like that you point out about her kind of stealing other people's work because clearly she got to this point for a reason she probably started out as being somebody who was talented herself but then once you kind of get to the top of something you realize you can easily take the credit from everybody else that is working so many hours a day and all you got to do is slap your name on it because you did make that name for yourself like short thing but I worked in beauty and fashion for a while and I'm not gonna lie that's kind of how it is in real life like once people get to a certain point they're able to do that but because of her name and because of who she is she treats everybody around her like trash and they're all afraid of her and so it's kind of like that thing like don't ever meet your heroes because emma stone like cruella estella spent so much time idolizing trying to get to this point beyond the same level of her dream of fashion design and then once she finally does get there she's still working super super hard and when she does get those achievements like nice glances from the baroness or being like oh okay like i like that design she feels like fulfilled in that way but obviously like as we see slowly you know she gets sick of it and i feel like that's kind of stuff that we see from all the other characters as well especially with mark strong Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, no, I don't really have much to add there. Like, I just think that it's really brilliant to go into this villain, what you believe is a villain prequel and get introduced to a more irredeemable villain. And she's not like comic book evil. She's believable evil. She's more hateable like you know what
2: she's a shitty person that's like I mean, you just yeah. you meet shitty people in real life she's not right. diabolical she's not out to like get anybody she's just a cra I mean she kid. she does
1: get mad at her servant for not murdering her baby
2: Well we'll get she's her. Yeah, to she does send yeah. dogs to murder yeah the like she, that saved the baby. But, but she doesn't like go to like her cave to be like this is how right. i'm going to take yeah. down like my master plan she's just like a shitty fucking person right
1: it's an elevated real shitty person. Right. This, like kind of like sabrina said at the beginning this is this whole story is just elevated like it's right. this hyper reality down to this baroness and I I just love that it's in the 70s. You don't have cell phones to deal with. You don't have like, you have like minimal security, like security cameras and stuff like that. And like some laser in one room. But like, besides that, like you allow your characters room to get into like a caper at points in this movie and not be like, oh, well, they just text each other. They just like, I think having this in the 70s between the fashion and everything was just such a perfect call for this movie too.
0: too, Because also like with technology and everything that we have smartphones, the amount of people that would be posting about like Cruella once Cruella Mm -hmm. finally does come out with all of her amazing designs and is stealing away that spotlight it would be so much easier to like track and find something if people had like Twitter at this time but they have traditional marketing and traditional media so it's newspapers and it's all these different headlines and I love the way they incorporated that within the cinematography of having certain headlines that we see from moments it's so cool and it it has to take place in this type of time period to work
1: and that's another thing that the original Original Did not have the original took place in like the 20s or 30s, I believe. And then the live action remake took place in like the early 2000s because he was a video game designer for really like uh, Jeff Daniels was so it's like this took made a purposeful decision to take place in a time period not yet discovered by this realm of the story. So I mean, it's just really like a well-thought-out plan here. It just shows more and more as the movie develops and as the characters' motives unravel a little bit and their traumas are revealed, that this was really well-thought-out, this movie, throughout. And the twist we're getting to with the I Didn't See Coming, for sure.
2: Well, get- we are right now watching the relationship between the Baroness and Estella, their working relationship, because they mm-hmm. didn't really have too much of a personal one. And like during a meeting, Estella notices that the Baroness is wearing the same necklace that her mother was wearing that her mother said was a family heirloom. And the Baroness is like, yeah, it's a family heirloom. And Estella is kind of like, you know, like, what the fuck? And that's when everything starts to click of like, something's up here, you did something to my mother. And is that when she realizes that it was the dogs or- was it a different time where she realizes that she blew the whistle for the dogs
1: i think she blows the whistle at the party right at the and party that-
2: so i think she just decides she wants to steal the necklace right she mm-hmm. doesn't go full well, she cruella says, she says once she realizes the necklace the
0: baroness is like yeah like somebody stole it for a little bit right. but like i got it back so then we have that connection of like okay her mom had some connection with the baroness right and then later on when we see the whistle that's when even a later connection which i do like kind of Showing these little pieces coming together in different strides. If we got everything all at once, I don't know if it would have worked as well, but it like Mm -hmm. slowly slowly like unwound.
2: So she decides that she wants to bring out Cruella just so they could stage an opportunity to steal the necklace. And that's when I think we see her with the white that she lights on fire. So she's not going like full, like I'm going to ruin you. It's mostly like, I need to just distract you so I could please get the necklace back. Yep. Obviously the plan doesn't work. The heist goes wrong. And that's when she blows the whistle. And that's when Cruella's is like, fuck this shit. It's on, bitch. Fuck around and find out.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because as it gets more personal for... Estella, she becomes Cruella and Mm -hmm. that's when she starts to want to become more diabolical is when it becomes a personal vengeance for her as opposed to just another heist.
2: Well, it's this weird thing of she realizes that this woman killed her mom at the same time realizing that she didn't kill her mom. So she's losing all this guilt that she had her entire life and then now realizing that her mom was in fact purposely murdered and I know the person that did it. So like all of that is happening at once.
1: I think she even verbalizes then the narration at one point where yep. she's like, "I've realized my mother is not dead, but in fact was a killer who killed oh, my mother." Not that
2: before that part, before that, is
1: part. it? Is it before and that? She
2: part? Talked about how like her whole, she thought her whole life. We don't know oh, right. who the Baroness is to her yet. Okay, had <laughs> Aaron. Sorry. But she says that, like, you know, I've carried this guilt my whole life. I don't have to be guilty more. Like, I wasn't responsible for killing my mom. This woman is. And basically, she's like, I'm going to ruin her. I mean, that's her plan. And that's her sole focus. Like, even Horace and Jasper are like, maybe you want to, like, slow your roll. Like, maybe we should stop doing this. And, like, she is so tunnel vision on just destroying her. And I love how she does it. I mean, how many times is she alone? She wanted to kill her. She could have. You know what I mean? But she wants to take down her reputation. She wants to take down her company. She wants to ruin her self-esteem. I mean, she's coming at her on every level.
1: And She's never been a murderer. She's always been a scammer or something. Yeah. So it's like, she even says to um, Jasper at one point how, you know, it's like, I'm not going to kill her unless I have to. So it like keeps keeping that... they use your prior knowledge of this character and what you think you know of the nature of this character, even though they're making their own character. But they use the advantage that you think, oh, maybe it's like trying to hint at how she becomes. So maybe she never becomes that evil of that character. Maybe she does, but it like leaves that kind of out there as like kind of that error of like mystery. Is she going to go to that point? And even Jasper doesn't know.
0: And they do have that kind of like what I mentioned earlier, that self-awareness and that like wink at the camera where obviously we got the moment where her mother's killed by the Dalmatians and throughout so much of this film, it's like, Oh, is she going to do it? Like, (laughs) And then we keep seeing how that progresses. And I think it's done so well, especially for people that are going into this with the expectation that they're going to see that same type of story rehashed. I think it makes it accessible for them, but then also shows people that are into something new. Like, yeah, we know this story, but we're not going to necessarily go there. We're going to go somewhere else. And they do that multiple times. And I think that's done very tastefully as well. Yeah,
1: it just subverts expectations in so on so many different levels. That's why I feel this is the most A24 Disney movie we'll ever get because A twenty-four is all about subverting expectations. It's why I love A twenty-four movies. I don't like going into movies, knowing what to expect, knowing who's going to survive, knowing how people are going to turn out. I just don't enjoy that in my movies. It's why I don't watch a lot of superhero movies. It's why I don't watch a lot of just certain types of entertainment where I feel there's a dramatic stake taken away. And with this, I feel like They really flirt with kind of, are we leaning into that? Are we not like, we know, you know, but we know what we're really doing. It's just, it led to an incredibly enjoyable experience where at times I could recognize and be familiar with things and that other times have no idea the direction they were going. And I just kind of love that throughout this movie. And I couldn't believe it was a Disney movie in the PG 13 rating. I think they really pushed it. I mean, there's like a crazy attempted murder scene that we're getting close to here, you know, as we're going, but yeah. Well,
2: this chunk of the movie, when she decides like it's on, I'm going Cruella is like so dumb. Cause it's montage like where it's like the fashion is unreal. When they do the dumpster scene where they like throw her out of the dumpster and she just climbs on up and they drive away and she has like a 50 foot train. I'm like, Oh my God, this is so crazy. When she comes out and painted on her face, it's the future Mm-hmm. I mean, just like the art, the clothes in this are so good when she hand makes the gown, and she mm-hmm. gets the special delivery beads. And then we later find out that they're actually like bugs and moths and they flood her yeah. entire yeah. warehouse and have eaten all of her clothes for the spring Like stuff like that. That's so freaking brilliant that you're sabotaging this woman without really doing anything to her. You're just getting in her head and you just like so flawlessly ruined her night. And like, she, nobody really knows it's you because she keeps changing her hair, which we will get back to the hair later Because <laughs> for the big reveal. <laughs> and
0: the Baroness like thrives off of attention. So when you're right. like, taking away that attention, that's the way to get under her skin. Like, yeah, in a story like this, you can, for revenge, just go up and murder somebody. But that's not, because then she's still going to have a legacy behind her. She's mm-hmm. tarnishing this legacy of hers while she's still
2: alive. And that's mm-hmm. why it's like the ultimate revenge. Yeah. And you just want to make her crack. It was like in Mean Girls when it was like, you just want to get them to crack. And that's what you're doing. You're pushing her to the brink where she's going to get sloppy, where she's going to admit something. And you're going to get her where she's, you know, not in complete control, which is what she's been the entire movie. And, you know, before that is what we can assume.
1: Yeah.
2: All right. So do you want to get into the, the twist now?
1: Oh, God. Yes. Want
2: to get into the big twist? Because, well, actually, so what happens is eventually the Baroness figures out who Cruella really is. And then attempts to burn her alive in her apartment. Framing Horace
1: and Jasper.
2: Yes. Framing Horace and Jasper, putting a ring of gasoline around her, lighting it on fire, not saving the dogs which I was not cool with that because it turns out that Estella actually really does love the dogs that she owns. She just doesn't really like the dogs that murdered her mom. So like understandable there. Yeah. And then care of them. first minor twist of the movie is that the Baroness's Biggest confidant, played by Mark Strong, is who saves her from the fire. So first, you're kind of like, "All right, bro, like, what's your deal?" Because you're like supposed to be the right hand man. And then we find out the big twist of the whole movie is that the necklace is actually a locket that opens up a chest, which now has the her the birth certificate and the original will of her father, who was married to the baroness, and she's actually the baroness's daughter, which is. Here's where my huge issue is with the plot hole. Mm. Someone starts ruining your life with perfectly black and white hair that you watched emerge from your body.
0: So I have not rewatched uh the, I've only seen it the one time in theaters. I wanted to rewatch it. When we do have the scene that kind of shows the birth, is there like a cloth covering? Is there something because I did not worried, absolutely <laughs> Right, yeah, she wanted actually
2: nothing to do with the baby, so maybe she didn't even yeah. freaking care about looking at her. I think right. she literally I didn't had a rewatch like the beginning, but I'm like pretty confident it was like there from birth.
1: I think the idea is that she's that self involved, and maybe that's a little bit hand washy and a little bit convenient. There are several points in this movie where the plot you do have to kind of just go with it and be like, because of plot, it very well could just be like that's her character, that's how much she was not a part of this process. I mean they made it very clear she was so vain and she didn't want this kid and it was the baron who wanted the is it the baron is that the way I'm referring yeah, to Yeah, the
2: baron and a baroness yeah
1: okay he was the one who wanted the kid and they talk about how it killed him after he found out it was like a, a misper you know or a, a miscarriage stillborn. or whatever stillborn and that's what he was told and it ended up killing him so it's again shows that she was willing to kill her husband basically to because she allowed her husband to die thinking this
0: But, like, Jesus Christ, the fact that that's why I think, like, she doesn't even care about the hair is like she had a baby and she's like, yeah, kill it right now. I don't, I don't care. I'm not even looking is at she it. She, like, content,
1: yeah. The
0: yeah. baby. Okay. So I have, again, I haven't rewatched this. Does she. I'm about to pull it up. I have yeah. It up. I want to see the baby photo that we see. Does she have, like, short hair, like, up to here? That's honestly with the whole moment. movie
2: is that she was born that way yeah, yeah i thought is. was annoying yeah, yeah. because it was like and then she kept going back and forth with the hair colors i thought it was a weird choice to have her born with that kind of hair color because it's like even if you looked at her briefly and you thought that you had had her killed like what are the odds of somebody showing up years later with that same weird fucking hair Well, I think
0: another thing to think about is like the idea of the unreliable narrator. Mm -hmm. And when she's kind of piecing together these images for us as an audience, you know, like no baby's going to come out with like a short bob of hair like that doesn't ever happen. So I think she probably didn't have the hair. It was just those images that as she's narrating, it's kind of displaying it for us as an audience because it's kind of funny to see something like that. So Mm -hmm. I like everything that they did with the hair, but... Yeah, when we think about all of this like a little bit deeper, there's parts that wouldn't even pay attention. My two theories for this is that the unreliable narrator when we're at the start of the film, but then also the Baroness probably did not even care about her at all. She looks like a little Sia.
1: (laughs) Yeah, she does look like a little Sia. I'm fairly certain that it was just that she is so self-involved with herself that she's just not even willing to look or participate in this.
2: Yeah, like her legs okay, are. So up. We don't, yeah, we don't see her, but we see her and there. I don't so think she. I don't
1: then. think she ever. I don't think she ever looks at her child. Yeah i, I really really is,
0: don't think so okay.
1: i would li- because she's like why am i looking at this thing that i'm literally going to kill this is less than human to me and like the thing that's very consistent with the baroness is she's talking about this years and years later she's still mad at mark strong's character for not killing her like he she's still like what do you think i meant when i said take care of it and then even then he pushes back and he's like I didn't think you meant to kill your newborn daughter. She's like, well, I did. She's as close to mustache twirling evil without being mustache twirling evil, where you still can understand if she was a real world evil person, who she would be like. And so, yeah, I just, Emma Thompson just slays this role, just like everybody. I mean, Emma is incredible. She's incredible in this role, just like Emma Stone. Both Emma's live up to each other here. Yes. I do think Emma Stone should be nominated just to get that out of the way, too.
2: Yo. Okay, that's a take. So I'm just going to continue with the plot of the movie.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, like, we had so many great movies in 2021, Miss Cinephile. Like, we got to nominate I somebody.
2: That's a.
0: That's a okay. If uh, the Golden Globes. We're still going. This would definitely get a nomination. I think the performance is deserving of an Oscar. I just don't think they would award it. It's so early on too. I think when we talk about costume and hair and makeup. Yes, but not the
2: performance. It's a Disney film. They're not going to nominate it. But So then she finally figures out that like, that's really her mom. And it's like time for the final plan, which this part was incredible i thought the way they ended this was so good because you're like how is she really going to get herself out of this situation because you know she's basically setting it up and like horace and jasper as like good as they are they're also like kind of terrible at everything that they do like they kind of just like they get like 85 percent of their job done every time
1: they're over their heads they're petty thieves yeah they're supposed <laughs> to be stealing wallets and like kicking one umbrellas and like you know, and it's I love just,
0: that, like, bumbling himbos. You know, they're just so <laughs> sweet and kind.
1: Yeah, Horace goes all the way with the with the get-up, yeah. you know, like, <laughs> such a beautiful again. Well,
2: the way he- they end it, because they all assume Cruella died in the fire, and the way they do this last, like, party is that everybody, they, how they send the invitations to everybody, like, wear this wig in honor of Cruella, one last day to oh, get under yeah. her in to really make her make her tick and then just to know that she's like cruella's here like i know she's here cruella like pokes her takes the necklace or takes the whistle mm-hmm. and somehow lures her outside and how they just casually invite all of the guests outside to the baroness is that now knows that she needs to get rid of her
0: it's so interesting because the reason of course why she knows that she's still alive and she's there One, everybody's dresses her. Somebody organized this without her knowledge. And it is such a good last way to get under her skin. This is like her event again. It's huge. And all the attention is on Cruella and is not on her. So her anticipating that she's there and then them having that moment in interaction where she's like, oh, like my daughter, like I'll give you a hug. All of us know that that's not going to be the case. But yeah, luring everybody out there is just a way of beating her at her own game. Anything she does, like... Estella Cruella is one step ahead of her at any given time because she already knows like by working so closely with her this entire film, she knows all of her motivations, all of the things she's going to do. And so she plays right into her hands.
1: Also, there's certain aspects of like our parents that we have within ourselves that we can recognize in our parents, whether we've been around them or not. Like, mm-hmm. there's certain aspects of my dad, I didn't grow up with my dad yet, I still have within me, and I know come from him. And it's just like, so there's aspects that Estella Sash has within herself that she knows she possesses and she knows her mother possesses, so she can kind of play and manipulate into that. And I mean, to go back out to the same cliff where her real mother who is the one who got pushed off the cliff at the beginning. I don't, you know, I I think it's just like a perfect little setup there and, you know, gets pushed off. We know she has a plan, and right away it reveals she does. She, she has a great line of girls. It's always key to have a properly cut skirt. Like, I just loved it.
2: I love that she asks her, when she's like, can I give you a hug? And she's like, you're not going to push me off the cliff, are you?
1: Yeah, it's like, just setting set her
2: like, up a right little. out loud.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I, I love how it's like, you know, this can be where they do a little hand wavy again, where it's like, how do you not hear the people coming out? And how does, right. because because plot, that's why, because it made for an entertaining fucking scene. <laughs> that's why, have some fun. Like this is the other part of this movie. Like it's so much fun throughout. And this is just like a perfect poetic justice piece here where it's the same cliff, same story, just and the Baroness sorry, thinks she's got it one.
2: Right. And she doesn't use the dogs. She just pushes her off herself. Yep. And it's just perfect that you're like, okay, girl, how are you going to get out of this? Mm-hmm. Like, literally, how are you getting out of this? And then you're like, thousands
1: oh, of witnesses. Oh,
2: okay. Yeah. But then even Emma Stone, even Cruella, okay, how are you? I, I know you live.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: What's the thing? And you're like, oh, okay. Bitch fucking made a parachute.
1: Fabulous <laughs> parachute. <I've ever> seen.
2: <laughs> like, what?
1: And Horace are is just like you- boating down there on like the most cartoony, like, Little half-assed raft that you've ever seen in your life. It's like, at times, it is a, the, a cartoon. It's amazing. Yeah. It's
0: it really perfect. is that mixture of like, it's grounded enough where mm-hmm. we're like, yeah, a lot of these themes and a lot of these ideas totally apply to real life, but where they want to be fantastical and elevated and all of that, they have reins to and it fits within the story. Like, if any of us planned this out, it wouldn't work. Any normal person planned it out, mm-hmm. but she did. And for some reason, it's ridiculous and believable. It's kind of like the moment that you talked about earlier, Aaron, with the white dress and the flame turning into the red one. It's believable for some reason. Right.
1: It's like, yes, if you did that in real life, yes, she would catch on fire and her skin would burn. That's correct. This is like, I just want to real quick point out one of my favorite side characters who we kind of forgotten to point out a little bit, Artie. I absolutely love Artie. I think that... For one, this type of character not being bashed over your head who already was and being presented in a Disney movie and just being presented as is as the character and not as checking a box or making the film more of something or it was just this is another different character in this world who fully feels like they belong and isn't being pointed out for being different, but is different than characters in a typical Disney movie. And I think being presented this type of person, I just think is really, really healthy for Disney to be promoting and not in a way where it's artificial. And so Artie, I think was just another really great example of that. I just think there's so many lines that Artie has throughout this movie that are just kind of great. And when he helps out Horace at the end and, you know, Horse is like, Oh, I had it. And, Did you like, I just really thought Artie was a great part of their duo. So I just wanted Artie's to mention so, that too.
0: Well, Artie's so essential to everything that's going to happen at the end because of course mm-hmm. they had to gather that team to make all of these Corella outfits. Yeah. But also just the fact that we're introduced to Artie as being like the owner working at a vintage fashion shop and it mm-hmm. fits the aesthetic so well. We needed another person besides Estella that kind of had that like 70s exactly. punk David Bowie type of makeup, like all these different ideas kind of showing up and showing out. And so Artie is a great character.
1: And he was like sassy, but not in that like movie sassy gay way. Like it was just like a genuine, just like this is who this character was. I believe this was a person who was around in seventies London in that scene. Like Mm -hmm. it didn't feel like a 2020 character brought into the seventies or something, for example. I just, it felt very authentic in this cartoon of a movie
0: I mean, we kind of briefly talked about Anita
1: Roger. Yeah. Anita Darling, she she's really good and she has a pretty important role as like Cruella's Instagram manager, hype woman, without realizing it. And I do think as we get into sequels, Anita's gonna start regretting the role she played in the rise of Cruella, perhaps. And maybe she knows too much, maybe starts to learn some things. And I thought it was interesting with Roger how Roger's really in it very little, but well, Cruella sure thinks so as well. And she also mentions how Roger is convinced that it was, she's the reason that he got fired. But really the reason got fired was because he was a loser, which is what Cruella says too, I think pretty <laughs> much. So it clearly is setting up Roger and Anita are going to get together at some point. And maybe that's like kind of an interesting subplot of like, Anita maybe defending Cruella while Roger's being hell bent on destroying Cruella and like, how that affects their relationship. I think there's just some very interesting routes that the sequels could go, especially now that it is confirmed this is not connected to the other movies. This is its own world. At this point in the movie, I am fully immersed. I'm fully into the original story being told and thrilled by it. 100%
0: then they have more room to work with in the future if you are going to continue to have a sequel or something else you aren't confined to having to fit into everything that we're going to see in 101 Dalmatians in the future I definitely love the idea again of like reimagining the story for this character because we add so many different layers of things that we have never seen from her previously and that's what keeps something like this interesting because if we just Mm -hmm. see the same over and over again. It's not going to be fun at all. Like Mm -hmm. We actually have a good time watching this in theaters because you have an actress like Emma Stone, who you think is going to be future like Oscar nominated for this role. I do. (laughs) Hey, maybe it'll be her second win.
1: Maybe not a win. I think it's the solid number five nomination that they have a little fun with. That's all I'm saying.
2: I just want to point out that in the original 101 Dalmatians, the animated, Anita's last name is Dearly. But Mm. in the whole movie... Cruella always said, Anita, darling. And then they made that her name in this movie.
1: Yeah, I approve of that retcon then. I
2: just wanted to throw that out there as an interesting fact.
1: Yeah, I think there's tons of winks and nods to the original in this. As a fan of the original, I think they did it justice. And the decision to go a different direction with it is the right one, in my opinion, no doubt. It's one of the strongest aspects of this movie for me. We kind of just finish up with, you know, I think the right decision here of not killing off the Baroness. You put her in jail, you put her somewhere where she can plot and scheme and start connecting with people for future occurrences, maybe in the second or third movie, because this isn't the last we've seen at the Baroness. And I am really interested to see where it goes, but she gets arrested. You see Cruella and her crew already move in with the dogs in, into new digs. The you know, house devil is forged. They play sympathy for the devil, finally, as you fully have sympathy for DeVille. So on the nose. And I would, when a movie works for you, on a nose works a little better, I think. When a movie doesn't work for you, maybe it doesn't work as well. It's a movie I was fully engaged with. So hearing sympathy for the devil at the end of the movie, even though if I hated this movie, I would have used that as a criticism. I'm fully aware. I loved it. So, uh, any other kind of thoughts with the end of the movie, or are we ready to just go into our ratings?
0: Yeah, I mean, like, I agree with you. I love the way that they wrapped it up. They kept all these different ties for us to, like, theorize on what we could see in the future. But then they could also subvert our expectations and go do something completely different. So I'm just excited. They announced the sequel so quickly. I just didn't expect it to be announced, like, a week after the film came out, barely. Mm -hmm. So, yeah.
1: We are going to get into our ratings section of the podcast. This is uh, five stars. Half stars are allowed. We always have our guests go last i'm going to go first today i think this is a movie that i had an absolute blast with both times i watched it the rewatch was enjoyable in a very different way from the first watch the first watch was one of my favorite surprises of the year though just because i did not expect to even kind of like it i expected maybe to think it was fine at best I mean, I was clapping along to the music. I was having a great time. I like the kind of faux tracking shots at points. I like the the unreliable narrator. I like the darkness of this movie at points while being reserved as a PG-13 movie. I like kind of flirting with like, yeah, we're not going to make a movie about... A woman who kills dogs like there's winks and nods without literally winking and nodding which i just like really appreciate i thought the direction was great uh, i've been a huge fan of gillespie before this with i Tanya. i did think you know this movie had aspects of devil wears Product, aspects of you know a joker aspects of even a phantom thread at points aspects of just a lot of different movies and i think that's okay when you've seen a lot of movies you're going to recognize more movies as we've even found on this podcast but for me I'm going to, it's nearly perfect for me. It's not quite to that level though. Four and a half out of five stars though. It's one of my favorite movies of the year. It's going to continue to be. I do think that Emma Stone's performance is incredible in this movie. And if it was nominated for an Oscar, I would not be shocked at all. And she'll be on my personal ballot. I know that. And it's just a great time all around. I recommend this to a lot of different people. It's got really cool heist aspects and not a weak performance in the bunch. Just great performances top to bottom
2: okay i will go next i really enjoyed this movie the performances were absolutely outstanding i really enjoyed every single person i think this couldn't have been casted better the music was amazing the story was great my major complaint here is if this wasn't about cruella DeVille, it would have been a better movie because you are literally not leading up to anything that makes cruella cruella you should have just made a whole New person because Cruella Deville is obsessed with fur, which we don't see at all. It's not even mentioned in this movie. And Cruella Deville doesn't like dogs. So the two main things that makes Cruella Deville, Cruella Deville, are completely changed in this movie, which means oh. it's either you it's not a prequel then, and then you just totally reimagine mm-hmm. your iconic character into someone that's not who she is. So why did you make a movie about Cruella Deville if you're changing who she is? Maybe you should have just made up a different villain. So oh. For that reason, I'm gonna give this movie a 3.5 out of five. Oh. So very good. It's just not about the person I think they wanted it to be about. They just took the characters and took their names and they totally changed who the entire movie was supposed to be about. So to me, that's not a prequel. You're selling it as a prequel. You're telling me find out how Corella became the villain that she is, but like it's not because you are not making her the villain that she is. So
1: in this maybe okay. I'll change
2: my mind in with Ruella too but right now i was told this was a prequel to the animated classic that i know and love and the glenn close classic that i know and love and uh this chick is not them so
1: yeah this is in the debate section so fair enough this is the most your ratings (laughs) hurt me so far especially the reasoning the reasoning is exactly the reasoning why it needed to be oh sabrina
0: save me for everything you just said criticizing it. That's exactly what I loved. Because at the beginning, like I said, this was a character that never really stood out to me. And I haven't really been a fan of the uh, Disney live actions up until this point. This is the one I love the most. This is the only one I love. I am so entranced by this character for so many different reasons, not even just Emma Stone's amazing performance, and also everybody else's performances all around the cinematography, the aesthetic with the fashion and makeup and the really energetic direction just got me so excited and so connected to this character. And I feel like we were able to dive into all these different layers that we would have never seen if they did stick close with the character. So that's why I am going to give it, I'm going to give it a four out of five. There are a few things like maybe like the length. If they just shaved off a few things here or there, I think this would be even more rewatchable. But you don't feel the length because like I said, like the really energetic direction paired with the music. I think it's just such a good time. It was one of the first movies that I saw back in theaters and it was so much fun to be able to do that so yeah four out of five is my final score for this one
1: yeah and it just again even in this rating section I think it's so interesting how the reasons for one's criticism is another reason for someone loving it and with Sabrina and I were coming at this at different angles because I did love the other movies also and it still worked for me so our average rating here it does end up at a four out of five. I'm very, very happy about that. I think that is a really great score. It's one of our stronger scores. Next week, speaking of excellent movie directed by the woman is the theme for next week. Right away, Patrick had a very specific movie that he wanted me to make sure to mention um, that he prefaced by saying, Christina is not going to pick this movie, but I'm mentioning it for him anyways. It's A Russian film, because it's Patrick, from 1977, directed by Larissa Shaptiko. It is titled Ascent. It is a war drama about two Soviet soldiers leaving their starved unit to search a nearby farm for supplies. When they see the Germans have reached it first, they have to retreat deep in enemy territory. So, Patrick, I did you a favor. There you go. Christina, did you have any particular directors or movies that you had
2: I'm going to stick with all Catherine Bigelow, but I'm going to go with strictly her earlier work. So my three suggestions are either going to be Near Dark, which is supposedly this really awesome vampire movie, Blue Steel, which is Jamie Lee Curtis just being hot. And you know what? I miss Harrison Ford, so I'm also going to throw out K-19, The Widowmaker.
1: Okay, so you went all Bigelow here. I respect completely. A couple that I had right off the bat, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I mean, one of the best romances I have ever seen on film. Uh, It is absolutely a beautiful story, beautifully shot, and a movie that is a must-see for anybody. I could not imagine hearing your thoughts on this film, Christina, and I would love to discuss it with you. Another movie I want to throw out would be We Need to Talk About Kevin. This is a movie I've been putting off by Lynn Ramsey. I've watched all of Lynn Ramsey's other work. Uh, I really do uh, love her as a director. She's uh, very intense, very different than uh, just about any filmmaker I've ever seen, how she deals with emotional trauma, turmoil, and just, this is basically a movie uh, starring John C. Riley, which... As you know from the Chicago episode, John C. Riley's my boy. And it's basically about two parents who think they might have a burgeoning psychopath growing up in their house. So basically, what do you do if you think your kid is like the next school shooter? Like, how do you handle that? So I'm just going to suggest those two, actually. Both of them I really would like to talk about for very different reasons. Sabrina, did you have any that you'd like to bring up?
0: oh of course well you already said lynn ramsey so i'm gonna go you were never really here that's okay. always one of my absolute favorite ones that is absolutely ridiculous and the performance that we get from walking phoenix chef's kiss i absolutely love that one my second would probably be the farewell lulu wang nice i choice. love love that film uh, yeah I think I'm gonna go with or like the Babadook Duke would be like another good one.
1: Oh, good uh, uh, maybe a horror film for uh Miss yeah. uh Christina to choose. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: and right, then my so other now- one would be The yeah. Virgin Suicides from Sophia.
1: Oh, that's a good choice. And I, I assume, Christina, you've not seen any of these. Um Movies that we've I don't through.
2: think I've seen The Virgin Suicide. If I have, it's not, definitely not all the way
1: there. Man, The Virgin Suicide is a fantastic movie. I have not seen it in a long time. Um, I'll make my lit pick from the list. This is a really good list. Uh, Near Dark has been on my watch list for a long time. I know it's super weird. I know Jake Meltzer really likes that movie and uh, everything like that. Um, but for me, I'm definitely going to be I think I'm going to have to go with The Virgin Suicide. I have not seen it in a long time. Uh, I know it takes place in Michigan, so I got the Michigan roots, got to got to represent there and I just think that uh really remember mainly Kirsten Dunst from this movie. And I know there's a lot more to remember and but yeah, that's going to be my that's gonna be my selection, and I'm I'm gonna actually put it over to Sabrina first to make a selection. All right,
2: I'm gonna go Portrait of a Lady on Fire.
1: Christina, your selection.
2: Um, I'm gonna go Blue Steel. That okay. seems like a fun one.
1: All right, so we got sexy Jamie Lee Curtis going up against a virginess Kirsten Dunst and,
2: and Josh Hartnett.
1: Yeah. Exactly. And then Portrait of a Lady on Fire, one of the greatest romances. I hate to toot my own horn here, but I think a digesting cinema on Portrait of a Lady on Fire would be phenomenal. I think it is a must see for you, Christina. I don't think we've had a lot of foreign language films we've had on the podcast so far. I think what better one than this one here? It, so that's going to be my pick.
2: Portrait of a Lady on Fire sounds like it's probably the most boring thing I've ever seen in my life because you like it so much, so it's probably boring. I also have a portrait, I would like to say, this
0: poster right here is also a Portrait of a Lady on Fire <laughs> I So I Aaron. Aaron
2: talking to Aaron about what he thinks is a great love story means that it's probably like so depressing and sad and boring. So yes. it's probably not what it exactly. is. So I would rather not talk about that. Um, but I would <laughs> love to see a young hot Josh Hartnett. So I'll vote for the Virgin suicides to just really make it hard for Sabrina. To oh
1: my God. I, did, I don't know what she's going to choose now. Sabrina is up to you. You will make the tie breaking vote. I don't know if this has ever happened before. This is exciting.
2: I know. That's uh, why I did it.
1: Portrait. You are so smart, Christina. Uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire or The Virgin Suicide? I genuinely don't this, know what the right choices. It
0: makes it so difficult for me because my choice, one of my choices, mm-hmm. is Virgin Suicides, but Portrait of a Lady on Fire is one of my favorite movies of the last decade. I think for Christina, because I cannot wait to hear what she thinks about this film. I think I'm gonna go Portrait of a Lady on Fire. <laughs> oh, fuck. <my.
1: laughs> oh I am so scared now. I was not scared. I regret bringing it up as a recommendation now. After what she just said, uh, we are going with Celine Sciamma's *Portrait of a Lady on Fire*. Like, okay.
2: Summary of this movie? Boring. <laughs> on an isolated island in Brittany at the end of the 18th century, a female painter is obliged to paint a wedding portrait of a young woman. That see the way that I would. I heard that, that premise and I ran to the movie tennis. theater.
1: Yeah, it's. Uh, it sounds like oh, we're being swept I away. I have
2: somebody. That's a two-hour movie? Bitch, that's five minutes. Paint somebody.
1: It is not five minutes to paint somebody, and you will see the beauty of, oh, my God, this is going to be painful.
2: Does, does anybody actually get lit on fire? Yes. Yes. No okay, problem,
1: but yes. Yes.
2: <laughs> I was like, if no one's getting lit on fire, I'm not fucking watching this. There
1: is a portrait <laughs> of a lady on fire at one point in this movie. Sorry. I promise that much. I will not reveal more. But, uh yeah, Sabrina... You may, I wasn't sure which way you were going with your choice. No, said, I, I was
2: That was extra mean of me.
1: Sabrina, cannot thank you enough. Is there anything that you need to plug coming up for you this week
2: yeah if you guys
0: have seen in the heights and you're interested to kind of hear more about that i did interview director john m chu and a few members of the cast so that's up on the geeks of color youtube geeks of color website we just covered fast and furious the entire franchise me watching it for the first time uh Woo-hoo! over on the meaning of Podcasts first cut youtube channel we have first cut live every single monday evening and then patreon.com slash sabrina on film if you like to hang out over Zoom, talk, talk about film with a really great group of people, Aaron included. <laughs> you guys could check that out over there. I also do some live streams and some hangouts. So that's a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. And thank you again for being on. This was such a good time. I always love to observe how the movie and the conversation really kind of represents the movie. And this conversation was just as chaotic and punk rock as this movie. It just like was all over the place at points, thanks to yours truly, of course. And then getting back on the points because of my host to my stage right, which is Christina. Uh, anything coming up for you this week? You really are starting to have a life again. Not only is the public return, but you're now semi a free woman for the summer as a teacher.
2: So, the as the right now, guys, the night of this recording, my school year is over. By the time this is released, I would have had a 33rd birthday on Saturday. So, I'm just living the dream. But, guys, keep a lookout for DTF Digesting the Force because we are now going in between the side stories and the sequel trilogy. And we have a lot of great guests coming up because we only have about four movies left to go. And then I will have seen all the Star Wars movies. So, keep checking that out.
1: Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk with two of my favorite people about one of my favorite movies of 2021. And this has now become one of my favorite podcasts of 2021 in the year of digesting cinema. So for Aaron, for Christina, for Sabrina, keep digesting cinema and keep staying on fire out there because next week we got a portrait to talk about.
2: I fucking hate
0: you.